0: Hello listeners, you're about to listen to the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. This is a show for any and all baseball fans, and it is led by myself and my co-host Travis. I'm what you'd call a stats nerd, and my buddy Travis was a total stud on his D3 college team. Our goal is to try to show you how we view the game of baseball, and maybe we'll share a few laughs along the way. So grab a drink, kick back, and join us on this wonderful ride. Through the 2021 MLB season. Enjoy. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. Episode 22 coming at you guys. It is currently Monday afternoon, almost evening. It is 5 p.m. 5.01 to be exact. We want to be exact on this uh, on this pod. But uh, just for some complete transparency, Travis, we tried recording this yesterday and it was a bit of a epic failure on our part. Something went wrong with the audio file. So we are going to uh, kind of be recapping this last week for a second time. So thank you for bearing with us and uh, hopefully you get a nice, enjoyable episode out of it. Anyways, um, much
1: like the angels... This past weekend, we, we we too took a fat L. So, yes, yeah. yes.
0: <laughs> well said, well said. The, the Indians uh, definitely gave us some trouble, just like this audio file gave uh, you and I some trouble. But anyways, um, we're going to go ahead and rattle off some of the things we're going to be talking about uh, on this episode. Starting off, uh, Otani is the first player to reach 40 home runs in Major League Baseball. I don't think anyone saw that coming in. Uh, I don't think anyone had Otani as the home run champ coming into the season. Uh, surprise us all so we're going to dive into that and what that kind of means for this season Um, also going to be spending some time talking about Miguel Cabrera who just yesterday reached that uh, 500 home run in his career milestone which is an elite club that really uh, bodes well for your hall of fame odds so we're going to talk about what it means that he is at 500 homers and almost at 3,000 total base hits in his career We'll get into that next, and then uh, gonna cover a few more topics after that, as well as um gonna cover some Yankees interesting uh talking points about how they're in an interesting scenario with their roster because they have two first basemen that are kind of like all stars, and it's essentially they have to figure out how to incorporate both if they want to make a serious run here in the playoffs, trying to make that wild card a game, and then trying to uh trying to win the AL eventually, so. We'll kind of dive into their sticky situation that they're in. Also, a big talking point is going to be, Travis, how we see the best way going forward for the playoffs to be structured in MLB. Because um, right now there's a current kind of issue where the San Diego Padres, Travis, who I think throughout the whole year we've been saying they're a top 10 team, if not like a top 6 or 7 team, pretty much every power rankings we do. MLB agrees they always have them in the top six or seven spot in their power rankings. Right now, if the season ended today, they would not be in the playoffs. And that's just kind of a result of the way the playoffs are structured and the way that the uh, regular season uh, schedule is structured. So we're going to dive into the ways we think ways that, we think that that system can be improved, ways that we think um, we could benefit by, like, I guess, a change of ideas of the way they do things. Um, so we'll dive into that later, too. And also, there will be some trivia sprinkled in throughout, like always. So, Travis, let's start off with Otani, and I'll let you kind of give us the, your first thoughts on he's the first guy to get the 40 homers. What does that mean for the league right now? What does that mean for his season?
1: Yeah, I think it definitely—honestly, uh, I think it, he's locked. Of course, we always, talk about, we always talk about this. He's locked in the MVP right now mm-hmm. with that. Um, getting 40 home runs as a pitcher, um, doing things that Babe Ruth couldn't even do as a pitcher, uh— It is just extremely impressive. Um, And I think that home run he hit against Detroit for his 40th, that might have been one of the longest I've seen with Shohei Otani. And just the sound off the bat was just, it it was something else. I I can't really explain it too much. Um, And then, of course, that same game pitching a great eight inning, almost going the complete game, but pitching eight innings that game against the Detroit Tigers. Um, Just an all-around masterful job for Shohei Otani. Um, getting to the 40 home runs. And honestly, right now with about a month and you know almost 10 days left, 50 home runs is looking very realistic. And I just can't imagine him hitting 50 home runs um, on the season. I know when me and Alex first were, uh, were covering him, our first episode, I was saying, man, if he can have a maybe a 3.5 ERA and 30 home runs, he's got the MVP locked. Well, right now he has an ERA, I believe, lower than 2.8. I think it's in the two sevens. And then also he has 40 home runs. Um, I mean, you, you, you really can't make this guy up. You really can't. You, you can't even make this kind of guy up in a video game. I mean, it is just yeah. My Yeah, my
0: credit player is not as good as Shohei right no, now. No, not at all. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, all, all great points there. Um, the whole the whole 40 home run thing, being the first guy there, something that none of us really saw coming. It's funny that, uh, Travis, a lot of the buzz was about, like, okay, if Vladdy gets a triple crown, could that, like, take over the MVP Conversation over Otani's great season, but it's really funny that um, Otani is on pace to beat him in homers, and he's not that far behind in RBIs either. Which imagine if Shohei beat out Guerrero in two of those, uh, yeah, two of the categories essentially for a uh, for the triple crown. It's like, well, how about yeah, two of the three categories going to Shohei plus all the pitching. Yeah. All of a sudden, the debate is not even a debate. Um, I like that you also pointed out that he pitched that gem. I believe it was eight innings, eight Ks, no walks. The no walks, Travis, as well as maintaining those those strikeouts, is really what's I feel like turned this second half uh, into like a, just a great pitching half season for him. Because the first half he was a good pitcher, he was a really good pitcher, and then he had the one uh, meltdown against the Yankees that really kind of ballooned his numbers up to like his ERA went from like two something to like three point five overnight, yeah, you know, in yeah. one game. And ever since then, he really has not had any big. Um, meltdowns. I mean, nothing even really close to a meltdown. Everything has been very solid and consistent. Very low walks, getting the strikeouts still, and not allowing many runs at all. um I think he only has one loss on the year. I think you know he's he's just yeah been, he he's just been solid all the way through. Yeah,
1: and I think looking at, even had his numbers from July 1st. I think his WHIP is literally 0.75, and we're looking at almost Pedro Martinez. Uh, for a half, yeah. For since July first, with his whip and those numbers, of course, Pedro doing that for a full season. Yeah. Um, but hey, Pedro can't hit the ball that far, uh, that like Shohei. So well, that's true. For um, sure. Yeah. I, I I tweeted about it actually after the game. Um, this is probably the most impressive season in baseball history, and I even said possibly even in sports history. Um, I don't know how you can compare this to a lot of great sports seasons from great athletes, uh, but he's he just doing freak of nature stuff. Yeah, the um,
0: the people try to like uh, one of my friends Travis asked me like how do I what's like the basketball comp for this, right? And there is no comp because you can be defensive player of the year and like a scoring title in basketball and that's not the same as this because that is like it, it, it's just a completely different lens because in basketball like you're almost kind of doing the same thing on both sides of the court it's scoring yeah. the ball or stop them from scoring exactly but in baseball pitching is like this whole other thing so like yeah. the only comp really is like if a quarterback was like a safety I was gonna like, say the exact that's same. like yeah. the only like real yeah. or like a pass rusher like that's like yeah. the only real way you can kind of see is okay this like it's almost like you're playing two completely different parts of the same sport yeah and doing yeah. them at a high level like yeah essentially what, what otani has done travis i honestly i think since july 1st like you mentioned you look at those kind of numbers in the al i want to say that he's like first in like era uh whip uh i'm trying to remember the other stats um but he he's just been he's been so lights out um that it's almost getting to the point they mentioned on the angels broadcast quite a bit that like he's going to get a lot of Cy Young votes. And I think right now, if it ended today, he'd be like fourth or fifth in that conversation. Yeah, yeah. He'd be right outside of the two White Sox guys, Rodon and Lin, as well as also Cole would be above him for sure. But mm-hmm. besides those guys, if any major slip-ups happen in that top three, like Otani can... he I mean, he's 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 been a model of consistency ever since, you know, July that uh, he is, I guess, almost waiting for one of them to mess up and he can get in that top three. That'd be really something if he did that.
1: That would be impressive. I mean, that would be... Yeah, that would that would just be out of this world. Yeah, he can do something like that. But um, no, Alex. But transitioning to another uh, milestone, I want to talk about. Of course, too, is uh, just the Miguel Cabrera, um, five hundred home runs on the, on his career. Yeah, um, something of course that you know only only the most unique of players really get there. Um, yeah. The list twenty something. I think the list is yeah. The list is pretty long, but of course it's it's uh, it's it's a select class that are in that. Um, most likely about ninety. I would say just just one guy is not a Hall of Famer yet, or actually, a couple guys aren't Hall of Famers yet.
0: It's all for the same reason. It's
1: all for the same reasons. But um, usually, when you hit 500 home runs, that solidifies your Hall of Fame status. Um, Alex, give me kind of your take on on the whole thing that's going on right now.
0: Yeah, so it's super it's super impressive. We all kind of knew it was coming. He was approaching the milestone for a while, and he still has a couple years to go um, in his career. So we all knew this was coming, and he, you know. If there was any doubts before was there shouldn't be. But if there are any doubts now, you know, you can pretty much consider him a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, and Travis, we also uh, mentioned that the 3000 uh, milestone for um, career hits, he's like right on the he's right on pace to get there probably next season. Yeah. I would assume yeah. I think he's at like around two twenty uh, nine hundred fifty something
1: 55, I think I thought 40, 45 more hits Yeah,
0: Which, I mean, you're pretty much right there Knocking on the door um, Travis, the only players in MLB history To be both in the 500 home run club As well as the 3,000 hit club Is uh, soon to be Miguel Cabrera And then you'll have Alex Rodriguez Is already in there Hank Aaron is already in there Albert Poole is already in there Willie Mays Rafael Palmero and Eddie Murray; those are the wow. only guys in that club. So if you know Miggy, assuming he gets those forty-five more hits, he will be joining very exclusive company amongst other elite kind of complete hitters. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so that in and it of itself is joining a really exclusive class. All those guys, Hall of Famers, except for guys who are either not on the ballot yet, like uh, like Albert, or guys who are, have steroid, you know, allegations and stuff like that, which is a whole other. Can of worms, but you know, Miguel's always done things right. I think that's why people like him so much. Uh, we, we want to expand on that, Travis. I know that, like, that, that's, that's a big factor into some Hall of Fame stuff, and some, like, I guess just the way we view these kind of guys is, is, you know, Miguel's like, uh, yeah, his, his stature in the league,
1: yeah, definitely a class act, kind of like Albert Pujols. Um, both guys, of course, doing it right for the past, you know, this will be the third decade they've been playing, uh, this century, pretty much, um, from Major League Baseball. And, you know, if, ever since day one, they made a, just a huge impact. Um, and i also want to point out too i just saw this today earlier but you know he right now is about 215 rbis away from another exclusive class and that would be 500 home runs 3000 hits and also 2000 rbis right now that class is only our pools alex rodriguez and hank aaron um something else it would be kind of just uh, uh one of those other you know classes that not even babe ruth is in or lou gehrig or even right. ted williams some of the greatest hitters of all time are
0: you got to be a true like accumulator and be good in your old D exactly stick exactly for a long time. exactly you're almost
1: looking at you got to play 20 years of, of major league baseball and you got to have you know 100 100 rbis every year 25 or so home runs a year and then with that you're having you know over 100 and probably 25 hits a year you know just the model of consistency but um with the first class of course hits and home runs Um, you know, again, an elite class of corner outfielders and infielders on that list. Uh, he'll be getting there. I don't, yeah, not, not this season just because, um, I don't think he actually gets a lot of playing time too. I think a lot of younger guys on the Tigers will be playing over him, but over the course of next season, if health is good, he'll of course be on that list and in that club, which again, just solidifies more of a hall of fame, uh, you know, presence for him. And of course, I think, of course, ups the percentage for hall of fame votes, Uh, for Miguel Cabrera. but um,
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, now I want to get into, I guess, a little bit of a rundown of Miguel Cabrera now in the 500 home run club. I guess we can kind of take a look at who's next because there's only a a small handful of people that could be next because we kind of know Mm -hmm. a couple guys that are almost like locks and it's pretty much a matter of who can get there first. So, Travis, most home runs in baseball is uh, our pools among active players, of course, at 677. Then Miggy just reached 500. And after that is Nelson Cruz at 443. And he is really the only guy for, you know, in the. He's the only guy above 400 besides the two guys that are already in 500. So Nelson Cruz, Travis, 443. He's already age 40 season. I think I heard on broadcast yesterday he was actually 41. Yeah. Which. Yeah. If you're a 41, you're already at 443, you know, you've had a great career behind you. But how much do you really have left? It seems like every year he still brings the power, though. So um, it's hard to kind of assess how long he can keep that going. So, Travis, really, it's between Nelson Cruz and then everyone else kind of below him. They're just kind of too old or too, um, uh, either too old or already kind of too declining. The only other people that could really, uh, I guess, get there next besides him would be either Stanton. At age thirty-one with three thirty-two home runs, or Trout at age twenty-nine with three ten. So Trout seems like the obvious choice over Stanton just because they're only about a couple dozen homers apart, and uh, and Trout being you know a bit more consistently healthy than Stanton, even though Trout's had his own issues yeah. with that this yeah. year. But so Travis, I guess give me your take. Cruz, Stanton, Trout are the three main candidates to get to five hundred club next. Who would you kind of be leaning towards? Talk me through that.
1: Yeah, and I think when it, when you look at it, of course, you got to look at, you know, who can be the most, you know, who could have the most health and also, uh, you know, also the age as well. I look at this list and I see Cruz right there. I mean, right now he's almost, you know, about seven home runs away from uh 450. And you got to think about, you know, of course, getting older and also teams that are going to be wanting him. Um, I know he's on a one-year contract. He was on a one-year contract with the Twins, got traded to the Tampa Bay Rays. So he'll, of course, be finishing out the contract um, when the season's over. And so he'll have to find, of course, a new team to go to. Um, and it's, it's interesting because I know he probably won't sign too many, you know, three-year contracts. I think it'll more, right. most teams will be looking at one to two years. So it's just basically if Nelson Cruz can hit... 25 to about maybe 27 home runs for two years straight. um He's shown in the past couple years he could possibly do that. um I don't know. I don't think he has enough left in him to get to 500. It's kind of a. It's I mean it's it's kind of the last mile of the stretch that I don't know if he can quite get there. Possibly get probably around 475 somewhere around Stan Musial territory, but I don't think he'll get to 500. Um, and then it comes down to Trout and Stanton. And I think uh, both guys are around the same age. Both guys have had around the same service time in the MLB. But Stanton, ever since that MVP season, has been just stumbling with injuries. So I think, of course, Trout will surpass him. Trout has shown a lot more, a lot better power the past couple seasons. So I think, of course, Trout will surpass Stanton. And Stanton will be chasing Trout. And Trout will be that first, uh, the next guy in the 500 home run club. Um... Maybe in the—I mean, looking at the year, maybe 2026, 2027, who knows? Trout's been hitting 40-something home runs uh, or projecting 40-something home runs the last couple seasons. So it it could come on rapidly. I mean, this guy could literally hit 50 home runs in a season. I would not be surprised if Trout does that. Maybe next season if he's healthy the whole season— um it'll
0: be interesting to see right like you said it comes down to health as the most important factor of this because we know the power these guys bring we know how good they are at the plate it's going to come down to being in the lineup on a regular basis and it's going to come down to also how gracefully you age if trout or stanton both really hit a wall age like 33 age 34 then the conversation starts to change a bit but yeah I, i i think i kind of agree about Cruz probably not making it to that five hundred mark, um, but Travis, if he ends up, you know, doing really well for the Rays in the postseason, it's almost kind of like an audition for whoever's gonna sign him in the next season. Like another contender says, "Oh, we just need a big righty bat. Yeah, let's go get Nelson Cruz." And why on, not on a one year deal? So even if he falls off, it's not a long commitment. Um, and so if he can kind of have two, after this season, if he can have two successful, like I wouldn't be surprised if he got to, I guess, uh, four fifty at the end of like this no full yeah season he can have a he can have a
1: september that's just un, 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 unbelievable yeah, yeah right
0: he could hit, you know five homers in a month and all of yeah. a sudden you're right there You and, go joey Votto mode <laughs> yeah right and, he, and he's the pop to do so so if you're telling me that like next season year after he just needs two one-year deals where he gets 25 that's definitely doable it'll mm-hmm. come down to health and how gracefully he ages but we'll see when we get there um it is a fun kind of talking point and then travis i want to transition really briefly Miguel is not there yet, but he is knocking on the door of that three thousand hit mark. Um, a little bit of a different conversation than the five hundred home runs, but it's still another list of elite, elite players. And trying to look at see who's going to be the next guy to hit three thousand hits after Miggy, it's a kind of a small pool of players. Um, you can look through the list, and almost everyone is either too old uh, to get there, like Nelson <laughs> yeah, Cruz, yeah. Votto, Mal- Yadier Molina, Robbie Cano. These guys are. All in the 2000s, but not quite going to have the uh, longevity, or I guess not enough years in front of them uh, in, in, in order to do that. A guy like Elvis Andrews is funny because he's only 32, but just based on his decline, you kind of almost have to cross him off as well. Going down the list, Travis, Jose Altuve at 1739 career hits at age 31 seems like a really good candidate to get to 3000 yeah. as the next guy to do so after Miggy. And if not him, if he somehow comes up short, the next guy you probably look at is, honestly, again, Mike Trout. Um, Is Mike Trout going to get there? My money is probably on no, because he's almost evolving into this guy who focuses more on walks and power. uh, More of a three-true outcome kind of of plate presence. But Trout is still only 29 years old and 14-19 career hits. So next season, we you know, assuming healthy will be at the halfway point at age thirty. So he definitely could do it, um, knowing how he continues to up his game and continues to produce. But Travis, real quickly, what do you think about Trout and Altuve, as well as anyone else that may come to your mind as getting that three thousand hits, do you think they can do it?
1: Yeah, you said it perfectly. A lot of guys are too old, I think, for the uh, three thousand uh, hit list as you went down the list. Um, you know, the next guys are like Yadier or Molina and also um Joey Vado. Those guys, of course, I don't see them playing, you know, six, seven more seasons. So I think it comes down to Jose Altuve and Mike Trout. I probably see Mike Trout getting, you know, like his number, probably about 2,700 hits. Uh, And that, of course, would be still a great career. Um, And I think he's going to have better stats than a lot of other great guys. It's kind of funny. You look at all these legends in the game and they all kind of just, you know, fluctuate with different strengths and all that kind of stuff. You have some guys that, of course, are going to have 3,500 hits. Um, But then you look at a guy like Mike Trout, arguably possibly one of the best um, center fielders in baseball history when his career is over just by projections of what it, what he's doing now um, but I don't think he'll get to 3,000 hits I think Jose Altuve is definitely the clear favorite right now uh, has a lot of speed um, makes contact with the ball really well um, this season, actually having a little bit of a power surge, um, low average and a power surge, something we aren't really used to seeing with Jose Altuve, but with him and his age, and I think he, of course, will play until he's 40 or so. Uh, I think he'll get to 3,000 hits or just quite, but of course, I think on this list, he's the next best, closest thing to get to 3,000 hits. Um, yeah, for, for Major League Baseball and the milestones.
0: It, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's almost like you kind of, as people who have... Travis, I think we're both pretty good at like looking at the different players and kind of saying, yeah. this is your archetype. And Altuve's archetype, even though he's kind of taking on some more power role of, of recently, he still has always been that contact guy. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and guy who could beat out base hits on, on the ground in, in, in the infield. Absolutely.
0: So. A guy who actually, you know, he he brings the pop, but we've seen him lay down bunts for base hits. Yeah, he, yeah. He, does, he does this kind of stuff. He will take the ball oppo for a base hit when needed. He has always been kind of the, you know, hit the ball into all parts of the field so that's the kind of guy you really think of as being a uh i guess a 300 sorry 3000 hit kind of guy whereas mike trout um he brings the power but it, there's tons of walking and also he's not really a shift beater i feel like he hits into the shift a lot and they shift for him because they know that he's trying to pull the ball to get that maximum power because he does know you know that home runs right now in the league are king and he's kind of adjusting his approach to kind of match that so yeah yeah um I guess last thing on this topic, Travis, is there's tons of youngsters who um, are not knocking on the door yet, but just kind of looking at what kind of numbers they're producing at such a young age. They're going to be in these conversations in like a decade or so. Uh, the, the next Altuve, the next Trout is going to be some of these young guys. So I just kind of wanted to highlight what they could do. Um, the, the 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 names that come to mind are the same guys we kind of talk about a lot. But of, of these names, uh Obviously, Ronald Acuna Jr., uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., all in my mind are kind of these contenders to either get to 3,000 hits or 500 home runs, if not both, which would be super incredible. But I, I just had this parallel I had to point out to the listeners because it just really kind of fascinates me uh, the way things line up. But like we mentioned, Travis, Arod is one of those guys in the 3,000-hit, 500-home run club, and he we've compared him to before, is honestly, there's resemblance to Tatis there because yeah. you're a shortstop who is pretty much five-tool in nature. You steal bags, uh, which A-Rod did a lot of as a youngster in in, uh, in the Seattle. Um, both hit for power and both hit for, you know, they both get base hits. So and if Tatis can stay healthy, I can see him following a similar trajectory as A-Rod um, as he continues to age. And then Ronald Acuna Jr., Travis, uh, it's maybe not the most common comparison you might hear, but I do think there's a lot of parallels to Hank Aaron just because both are above average fielders who have good speed. Uh, Hank Aaron stole bases in his day just like Acuna does. And then both do hit for average and for power. And um, I think a lot of the strides that Acuna has made, also, Acuna hits leadoff, so he's going to get those base hits. He's going to yeah. get those, those at bats to have the opportunity to put up those kind of huge counting stats. That we saw like Hank Aaron Reed so I kind of see a parallel there between those two guys um Acuna playing a lot of right field uh, this season and last season with Pache getting called up so I think that a right you know the right fielder right fielder in Atlanta kind of comparison there makes a lot of sense to me and then Guerrero Jr. almost he is not on level yet of our pools of course pools being you know definitely a top three first baseman at the at the worst um of all time so Guerrero kind of trying to factor in how that lines up. I just kind of see a right-handed hitter, first baseman, that hits for both average and power. And then also the fact that Guerrero's is kind of starting off his... He kind of had his breakout year, breakout year this year, and he's going to get second in MVP voting most likely, which is also how Albert kind of started out by getting second place to Bonds a couple of times early in his career. So, Charles, what do you make of kind of these comparisons? I just kind of saw like that list of guys who are in the... Um, the the 500-3000 club and I saw these youngsters and almost like these comparisons kind of in my mind said okay maybe these guys are destined to kind of fulfill like this similar kind of elite club going forward.
1: Yeah what's most funny is that they're all juniors. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, except uh, Ronald but uh, you know.
0: It's funny how they don't really compare to their parents like. No yeah. Vladdy and and his dad obviously both great uh, hitters in terms of power and contact but Different positions of course. Yeah, yeah. And then uh Tatis Senior, not someone who was like a five tool shortstop like his son is. So it's just kinda interesting to kind of see they almost compare to other people better than they compare to their, their their fathers.
1: Yeah, and even looking at like, you know, some of those other blue jays like Bichette and Biggio, definitely, you know, not really compared to what their fathers were. I know definitely uh because I know uh Bo's dad, of course, was a huge power hitter. I know Bo and, has good and, power. An and
0: outfielder. And
1: an outfielder, yeah. Guy. And I think Bo honestly has a better war right now than his dad did in <laughs> quite, his career.
0: Quite possibly,
1: yeah. So uh yeah, no, definitely different players. No, but those those three guys are definitely guys you want to circle for the next, you know, possibly two decades um for major league baseball. And those are two great examples for um, you know, who could be on this list and we you know we could be talking about in the next 10 to 15 years for uh these kind of milestones
0: and and when when i brought up to you like this 3500 club i think one guy you really liked uh i guess his odds for having a chance to be in there was was Juan Soto yeah and i didn't bring him up because he doesn't have like kind of a direct comp i mean i think the comp we always think of is like a Ted Williams type yeah but because he walks so much and he still has that power but um Williams not in those clubs because uh, he was not the base hitting guy because he was such a big walker. But mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about Soto kind of being in that group too and uh, yeah. his odds for going and into that And, of course, club? I think
1: Soto is one of the best flat-out hitters um, in Major League Baseball. I think when you, you looked at the last couple seasons, before this season started, um, you can make a good case for who's the best hitter in Major League Baseball, and I would probably go with one Soto. Mm-hmm. Uh, just an inch above Mike Trout. Mike Trout, of course, I think having the all-around, uh, you know, all-around player aspect that is better than one soda of course defense speed stealing all that kind of stuff but no yeah one soda is one of those guys that will be up there i am very confident in um those kind of things maybe not hits hits is kind of a hits is kind of an outlier that you might not be able to reach because it's just it, it takes kind of a and a, a, sort of a bit of luck i feel like as well right um,
0: there's, there's a luck in terms of getting the balls in play to kind of land where you want them to land and i think that's how so many players are kind of shifting their their approach to like being more walk heavy yeah and, and with the rise of this shift i think it's hindering base hits even more so if that doesn't get kind of you know banned or anything i can see guys like soto focusing less on the base hits and more on, on the walks. so exactly th- that makes a three thousand uh, hit club almost more exclusive going forward because less guys are going for those base hits yeah no
1: exactly and so um yeah like i said juan soto is a guy that i think could definitely get up there um, it was funny because I was looking at just the stats earlier, like I was saying, with Miguel Cabrera only being 215 um, RBIs away, and I was trying to look at a list of active players who could be the next 2,000 RBI guy. And right now, I have absolutely nobody in my really? you know uh, in my forecast that could be on that list. 2,000 hits. I think right now it's only been done by Albert Pujols, Alex Rodriguez, Babe Ruth, and Hank Aaron. It's an extremely exclusive club. And so, right now, of course, Major League Baseball has a lot of good players and has a lot of Hall of Famers. But this list is, uh, yeah, something that only you know, mythical f- god <laughs> creatures are made out of. And then you start getting into the 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, and 2,000 RBIs, and then of course that list is really only made up of A. Rod, Albert Pujols, and um, Hank Aaron. It kind of, of course, shines a little light on how crazy our Pujols' career was when you look at it. Right now, when you compare yeah. it kind of to Miguel Cabrera both of those guys just being on another levels and both those guys' careers very similar. When we look back in fifty years, you know, you could say Miguel Cabrera and our pools are just those two rivals that um, you know, were we playing they, in the same era. They were
0: kind of parallels yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah.
1: Very similar careers.
0: and I guess Travis, uh, kind of switching away from this topic but kind of staying in this in this kind of vein of the guys that have been really good this last decade or so. I wanted. I we, we already went over this quick trivia in our in our failed episode, but, but <laughs> I uh, think I know the I, answer. I, I, I still wanted to kind of let the fans or the listeners know. Uh, I guess it's still an interesting tidbit that I wanted to throw out there. So um, this was from a tweet by uh, Kyle Kishimoto on Twitter. I believe his uh, his handle is Kyle. Let me get this right. It's at Kyle Moto Ten. He tweeted. Um, From 2012 to 2021, he found this stat that Mike Trout leads all hitters in Fangraph's war at Mm 77.2. And it's really hard to guess who the second guy is. So Trout is first. And the top 10 is filled with names you'd expect like Mookie Betts, Josh Donaldson, Paul Goldschmidt, and Freddie Freeman, Bryce Harper. The names we all know that have been great this last decade. The guy who's second place, Travis, is none other than Buster Posey. So I kind of wanted to highlight this kind of saying like... This last season that he's had, this twenty twenty one and how good he's been, um, that factored in with this other I guess war element of how good of a war he's had this decade. It really I think is kind of helping the way we're gonna view his career when it's all said and yeah, done.
1: Yeah. So um I, I feel like he was kind of a dying star um yeah. in the last in twenty nineteen, eighteen. Um, you look back at some of his stats and I know he has a couple good seasons, you know, twenty fifteen and sixteen, but um. Yeah. I mean, I feel like everyone was forgetting about him. Everyone was just, you know, uh, there were new names, new catchers out there. Salvador Perez, uh, G, uh, Real Muto for the Phillies, right? And we kind of forgot about Buster Posey. And then, of course, sitting out of all of 2020, uh, that I think people kind of were just like, "Who is this guy anymore?" He might not
0: have his legs yeah, anymore. Exactly,
1: or, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But he has made such an incredible resurgence, um, that I think will be a huge crucial. Uh, piece to his Hall of Fame status right now. I think he is going to be a Hall of Famer. I think when you hit a when you're when you're a catcher with a batting title and MVP, uh, you put up an, a pretty insane year that has to almost register you as a really good case for the Hall of Fame, right. especially at, at the catching position.
0: Right. He 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 will be certainly top ten in MVP votes this year. I'm i I feel pretty good about that. Um, especially if the Giants maintain that division, that division best record in the NL West. We'll see if that ends up maintaining or if the Dodgers take over but um that pretty much wraps up the trivia bit I just kind of wanted to show what kind of season Posey was having as well as what kind of decade he's had in this kind of Mike Trout era of of a dominance that Mike Trout has had I think most people wouldn't expect that Posey would be uh, second place behind him in terms of fangraphs war but it's very impressive um that he's been able to do that and it bodes well for his future but Travis switching on to one of the main topics we want to kind of cover today is the current uh playoff structure and the current regular season structure. And I guess I guess we can kind of discuss the way we feel that um, it has been good or bad and the ways we think it could be improved in order to allow more teams in, more exciting players in. Because to see Tatis and Machado and Cronenworth and Darvish, the list goes on, you may love them, you may hate them, but I feel like you want to see them in the playoffs, at least in a wild card game. Uh, they just bring eyeballs to the screen. And I think
1: MLB wants to see them. Yeah,
0: and and, the same goes for guys like Bryce Harper and Zach Wheeler who are now slipping to the Atlanta Braves in their division. It would just be great to see, I guess, more names in the playoffs. And, of course, that applies to the American League. You know, Mike Trout, Shohei Ohtani, obviously the Angels season has kind of slipped away from them. But if they were healthy, you would want to see Trout and Ohtani in the playoffs. There's no question about that. You just want to see these big names. It brings the eyes to baseball, which is what every fan wants. So, Travis, why don't you kind of break down some ways you see a restructuring could be good um, going forward. Give us your kind of breakdown and take.
1: Yeah, and I'll kind of start with last year with the 2020 season. Um, and you know how we, we we saw eight seeds in each league, the AL and the NL Um, I'll start by just giving my comment on that and I'll go to you real quick Alex what you thought I I thought you know eight seeds was a little bit too much because I think we did both see that the eight seed um, didn't really compete with the the number one seed in uh, in both leagues and also I think it was a little of course unfair for the number one seed uh, to literally kind of be faced faced with elimination I mean you're literally talking about a three game series um, I know you're playing the eight seed, but hey, the eight seed and some of those teams had really good starting pitching throughout the year. And just think about it: you lose two of the three games, and your season's over. Right. Um, I think those are two good points where you know it's a little unfair for the number one seed, and it's also. Uh, Kind of like kind of comparing to NBA too, when the eight seed is not really making too much noise in the playoffs, Mm -hmm. it's kind of just like, do we really want to see them play that much? I think we rather we'd rather see almost a smaller list with uh, more confined kind of just uh, talent wise on that. Yeah. Um, What are your thoughts? Of course, on just covering last year's eight seeds.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because looking at twenty twenty, I think a lot of fans were probably okay with like, okay, we're gonna do a big eight eight teams per league type deal because we're like oh it's a 60 game season yeah. mm-hmm. if a really good team does kind of meh we want to still see them in the playoffs like the astros for example yeah they made it to the alcs game seven but they had a really poor 60 game they were a losing team yeah but they still made yeah. the playoffs and yeah. they still kind of showed in the playoffs what they're capable of so it kind of i mean that's the reason they did it right they did yeah. the eight teams per league because they knew that like there would be some teams who slumped in the 60 games and would get in that six through eight seed range and they would still be exciting in the playoffs but i completely agree with your point that a, th- a best of three series for a first second third seed anyone who won their division yeah to have only a chance you lose that game one and all of a sudden okay now we have to win two in a row or else we're done yeah we just we just had a you know up, you know, a, a 60%. We have won 60% of our regular season games and now all of a sudden it's down to like I can't lose anymore kind of kind of deal. So it's it's definitely very tricky with baseball and you don't want to... I don't think you want to put like those kind of high seeds in these kind of scenarios where you have to win such a small series against a team that could be streaky. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I guess you can kind of break down like other ways besides this eight-team format that um, could be kind of a good middle ground.
1: Yeah, and, I, and I'm definitely in... Um... I'm definitely for, in favor for expanding the playoffs right now. right now we see a five team um, playoff picture pretty much for the AL and the NL, um, the three division winners, and then of course, two wild card teams um, coming out out of that. and that really you know, could be a second and a third place team in in one division or two second place teams. Um, I think that this system, of course, they knew some teams would kind of get a little screwed. But um, I think, of course, an expansion for the playoffs is needed. And I think that MLB, of course, wants to get more uh, coverage, more games. Uh, that equals, of course, more revenue for everybody and, and the TV programs and everything. But um, I think I'm kind of in favor for a six or seven game, uh, basically, playoff expansion. And I'll kind of cover what the, what the playoffs would look like today if it the, the season ended today. And here's what it would look like, uh, basically, moving forward with, with a six-seeded Uh, you know, playoff picture right now. So, of course, the first and the second-placed teams in the league would get a bye in the first round. And those are the two division winners with the best record. So right now, the Rays, the best team in the AL, and the Giants, the best team in the NL, would get the first-place seed and the bye. And then as well as the second-placed team in the NL and AL uh, would both get a, a buy and right now that's the astros and the brewers so those four teams would get a buy the first round in a six seed playoff um, and then you kind of go down to the third place team against the sixth place team the third place team is still a division winner and for both leagues that would be the white Sox and the braves They'd be they'd be at home for a three game series, and they would be facing either uh, the White Sox would be facing the third place wild card team, which is right now the Boston Red Sox, and then the Braves would be facing the third wild card team, which would be the San Diego Padres. Would be kind of funny because right now the Padres and the Braves have the same record, so almost the same right. amount of you know but, wins. But, but
0: one won the division, and one is third in the division.
1: Exactly. So one team, of course, is getting you know getting getting to play at home, which of course in baseball isn't always the the biggest advantage because we've seen a lot of road warriors throughout the years but that's what the that's basically what a a six seed playoff picture would look like right now and then of course the fourth place team so this would be the first wild card team would be home against the fifth seed which is the second wild card place team and so that would be the new york yankees hosting the oakland a's in that series and then for the nl it would be the dodgers hosting the Reds. so pretty similar to what we see right now but of course, you're adding on that sixth team to kind of give them life. In a perfect world, Alex, you're going to be having the first and second place teams make the playoffs of every division. Pretty much, that's what a six-seeded six team or playoff system would look like. But, um, but in this in this exact scenario. You have three from the nl west yeah
0: as well as only one from the nl, NL east. east yeah and that just has to kind of i think that's a good thing i don't think it should be like locked into where you need to have two two and two because sometimes a division is just stronger and the padres deserve to be in there more than the second place team in the in the east at least as it stands right now so
1: yeah um, yeah and uh, then and then kind of covering for a seven seed playoff race and this of course you're just adding one more team than the next the next team on the wild card race would be, of course, entered into the playoffs. The three and the six and the four and the five-seeded teams would actually not change. It would stay right. the same. So you're basically keeping the same thing right there. The only thing that would change would be, which is at least very nice, the number one seed in both leagues would get a first-round buy, which would be a very good advantage to it, getting the and best it's record. It's an and incentive for it these is.
0: teams to, to push throughout the, the rest of the season. Exactly.
1: So that way you can kind of save for maybe a weekend Uh, all your pitching all your players you can watch all the teams compete and you can kind of line up who you're going to play next um, that way but looking at the uh, the only thing that would be changing of course is is the second seed the uh, second division winner would have to play in the first round and so looking at that this year uh, right now you'd have the Houston Astros at home against kind of crazy the Seattle Mariners Wow. Uh, So it'd be an AL West uh, divisional matchup with the way that the Toronto Blue Jays have kind of been sinking lately. Uh, The Seattle Mariners would be in the playoffs if there was a seven-seeded race right now. And then, of course, for the NL, you would have the Milwaukee Brewers against the St. Louis Cardinals. The St. Louis Cardinals would, in fact, get in. So it's kind of crazy. You get some of these teams um, a chance and, and, and some life to get in the playoffs uh i th- i think it's something that mlb would definitely thrive over i think that of course you'd get a lot more um well of course you'd get more games in the playoffs you'd get a lot more viewership all the tv networks would of course be really happy because that'd be more games that they would get to air um alex i mean i, I went over kind of the six and the seven seated uh playoff ex- extension but what's your mindset right now i mean is this something that you would favor um major league baseball to do
0: yeah so i completely agree that expansion is Um, not only a good idea but I think it just benefits the league in so many ways Um, it's really interesting that you say that the Mariners have surpassed the Blue Jays in that wild card race because I was prepared to talk about how a Blue Jays Astros series would be so much fun like That would bring so many eyes uh the blue jays being the up-and-coming team the astros being like this team full of guys that have been there done that and they're trying to kind of stick around still even though they lost guys like springer they're going to be losing guys like correa most likely they want to still stick around and be this relevant team uh be this dominant team in the american league that'd be such a fun series but it's crazy like you said the mariners have taken over that spot and you know that that, that's that's their that's their um they've earned that essentially which is you know yeah uh, good for them so uh My stance is that some of these teams that are right on the fringe, these are teams that would not make it in the current format, but they would make it in expanded format. Teams like the Red Sox right now would not make it in the current format. They would make it in our format. And that's, you know, you want to see some of those players. You want to see Chris Sale. You want to see Devers just having a great year. Guys like J.D. Martinez and Bogart's. Uh, veterans that um, are exciting to watch and they've been there and done big things in the playoffs before you want to see them in a wild card kind of series a a best of five in the first round kind of deal whatever they decide to kind of break it down as but you know um, you don't want to see a team like the for example um, the Padres missing out on something just because they uh, the format I guess doesn't accommodate for more teams so I think like adding more teams to the playoffs um it's not only good for those fan bases um you get more fans invested because their team is in it now but you also get more eyes on the sport in general because hey Travis. if the angels don't make it at least i can say oh i will have fun rooting for the padres or, yeah. or the blue jays or you know the phillies whatever my other like second team is whatever players i like maybe i love bryce harper i can root for the phillies now because now they're gonna make it because they're the seventh seed or whatever it may be. Yeah. you know yeah. in whatever scenario but essentially I completely agree. The expansion makes a lot of sense. Um, and it not only is it good for the fans, but it's good for the league because now you get more games to televise, more ads you're going to sell, more networks are going to you know want to have these kind of deals. And so yeah, yeah. expanding the playoffs makes the playoffs longer. And it just it just overall makes more hype, I think, for the whole sport and that whole, I guess, postseason. Uh, the hype wave is going to kind of continue and get bigger and bigger. One thing I want to add to this whole conversation, Travis, is the way that, the Pod, a team like the Padres, compared to a team like the Reds, who the Reds I think are just past them yesterday in terms of over overall record. They yeah, were, just
1: they, one game right now. They were
0: tied going into Sunday, um, and now the Reds are ahead. I just kind of wanted to highlight the fact that I think in in the same in the same vein as like we want to bring more fans to more hype matchups and more hype, um, I guess, players in different markets. It also would be beneficial to the league to expand the regular season, not in terms of game game number, but in terms of variety of matchups. Because one big issue in my mind is the fact that I have to watch the Angels play in Oakland and in Texas and in Seattle <laughs> over and over again all throughout the season. And I think it's a big missed. I understand that there's been this emphasis on divisional play for a long time mm-hmm. now. And that's part of the tradition. But I think it's time to sort of take a step away from that. You're not getting rid of divisions. I still want divisions to be intact. Winning your division should matter. But I think it's important to take advantage of some of the great uh, variety of talents. I want to see Mike Trout uh, go to Atlanta and face Ronald Acuna in like this head-to-head matchup of, of you know, great stars. I want to see Otani go to uh, the New York Mets and, you know, pitch, a game against DeGrom and they're like dealing against each other. I want to see these kind of matchups, right? I want to see the Angels playing against the San Diego Padres in San Diego every year. I want to see these matchups. I want to see Tatis have to go to battle against Otani on the mound. That would just be so much fun to watch. And we have to kind of wait every three years to see uh, the Angels go to a certain division. So, Travis, I guess my main point is, I'll let you you, uh, give your response. My main point is I want to see more different matchups. Both, I want to see... I guess the Angels playing more teams in the American League outside of just the West because I want to see them play the White Sox more. That first series we had, Travis, the first series of 2021 – Angels beat the White Sox 3-1. It was a great series for Angels fans. I think it gave them so much hype and so much yeah. hope for the season, yeah. which now is no longer present, of course. But uh, I it, think it's still
1: there for me. No. <laughs> it, it,
0: it was it was a very fun series. Walsh had a walk-off. Um, there was a lot of big moments. Iglesias got his Even first, opening day. Yeah. Iglesias got his first save as an Angel. So that was such a fun series. Um, I feel like it would not have been the same if we played the A's or the Mariners. It would not have been as hype. It was more fun to see these kind of – this team we don't play as much come to town – that White Sox had a star-studded roster. It's fun to see them and take that challenge. Um, so I think the Angels need to be playing more teams in the AL Central and AL East in terms of our schedule, as well as a lot more inter- in, inter-division, in, sorry, inter-league games. I want to see more games against the NL Central, NL West, as well as NL East. I want to see these other stars like Bryce Harper, whoever it may be, come to Anaheim. I want to see our guys go to there and try to care of business. So give me your thoughts on my whole expansion idea and getting rid of like the divisional schedule emphasis.
1: No, yeah, I I, I agree with you a little bit and I also disagree with you a little bit. I do, of course, whenever the Angels are playing, you know, an NL East or an NL Central team, I always want to circle those games on my calendar because it's fun to always go and see teams that you don't see them play that much, Mm -hmm. you know, If St. Louis comes to town or the Cubs come to town, you're kind of like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, these these great franchise and organizations are coming to Anaheim. I want to see them play. They don't play that much, you know, very often. I remember when we got our pool holes, I think it was seven years our pool holes and the Angels did not go to St. Louis to play a game in St. Louis. It was kind of just like, well, we got to wait every three years when we play the NL Central again. And hope
0: we're away. And so hopefully
1: we we're there. And, you know, now, of course, they've been doing, you know, two and two, two at, you know, one ballpark and two at the other ballpark, or sometimes even three at one ballpark, and you kind of just get screwed. Um, and so. I, I, I'm with you there. I like, of course, seeing them play other, uh, NL kind of division opponents. I would love to see more Mets angels. You get a chance at DeGrom against Trout and Otani. More I mean, fun matchups. That, that'd that be really fun. Of course, too. I, I still want to see, Um, uh, I, you know, it's, I think it sucks with most sports. You just, you got to play your division. Even when you look at NFL, uh, I think of course, when they still, I, I think the the season got expanded this year, but you had a 16 game season and eight of, eight of those games were against divisional opponents. Uh, it's something that, of course, I think all sports have to go through. You have to play your division. I'd be in favor with honestly playing our division foes, you know, the Astros, the A's, the Mariners, and the Rangers. I'd be in favor playing them like 15 times. I think we play them about 19 to 20 something times a season, depending on each team's kind of randomness. But um, playing each team about 15 times, that way you'd get five three game series against them, and you can use those other games to, like what you said, play a little bit more of like interesting matchups. That way you can say, oh, the Angels played the Nationals, or they played the uh, Braves this year a couple times, and so um, you can kind of say, "Oh, the Angels held their ground against the, you know, Atlanta Braves in a three-game series. We took it to them, um, and they're winning the division, or something like that." I would love to see, of course, more of that openness to the schedule and, and playing different markets. I think that'd be really good for baseball. But um, I kind of want to stick it or stick around to the whole divisional things. I know we were talking about, you know, should divisions kind of just get. Uh, dispersed into just kind of an American League and a National League, and then also just you know get rid of the East, Central, and West. Just start with an NL and an AL because, like you said, we have the San Diego Padres who a couple days a couple days ago were the third place team in the West, but they were still a great team. They had a better record than the NL East division leader right now. Right. Um, I mean, I look at the Braves honestly. If they had not caught this whole crazy nine game winning streak right now and they were just kind of 5-5 five and five the last 10 games, they'd be still there with, with Philadelphia, probably at around 64 wins. You'd be looking at 64-win uh, division leader for the NL East, and then you'd be looking at the San Diego Padres with 68 wins. And then you look at the NL Central, the Cincinnati Reds with 69 wins, and then the St. Louis Cardinals, third-place team with 63 wins. If the Cardinals were in the NL East, they would be in, a second place team. They'd right be more, now. more in the hunt. Yeah. Exactly. And so it is kind of an interesting thing. Um, I hear a lot of people always talking about that kind of stuff. Should we just banish the whole East, Central, West? Um, I honestly though, I'm probably not gonna I'm gonna be against it a little bit just because I think this happens every year. I think every year you get divisions that are uh fully strengthened, fully powered. I find that I think, like I said, every year. Uh, there's a new there's a new division that kind of has the you know core four or the three best teams kind of almost in the American League. Um, I look at like you know even like looking at last year even though last year what kind of you can't really use um, in, in 2020 you had you know four teams in the uh, NL Central make the playoffs and you know it was kind of just kind of a freak show where you you know it, you only you had four teams in an eight game um, eight seeded playoffs make the playoffs in NL Central. Um, and you know, I really wouldn't say that all, any of those teams in that division were very good. Um, I, I think that every year, like I said, each te- each division does have a, uh, kind of an outlier just has kind of just the strength to, um, show that these divisions really shouldn't really matter anymore. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of my take on it. But- if, if you, if you kind of understand what I mean, it, it's, it, it just seems like I, I, sometimes I feel like we're making excuses sometimes, but you know. Yeah, um, I, I think if the Padres wanted to find a way in the playoffs, they would be, you know, they would have more wins. It had, had a better record. Yeah, sure. exactly.
0: Um, yeah, I'll, I'll get my rebuttal, I guess. So, uh, the, yeah, you, you mentioned already that like talking about the 2020 season as an example is kind of rough because first of all, the schedule is different where you only played teams in your either division or in the other league, but same regional division. So the NL Central True, yep. was only playing NL Central teams as well as AL Central teams. In terms, I think we I think we both know and kind of understand that the Central last year, it felt like it was all like on the same playing field. Like the White Sox hadn't really broken out yet, and the, the Indians were still like they're still kicking around, and then the Twins were still kind of kicking around, and they're all kind of like on the even playing field. And then you look at the NL side of things, and the Cardinals, the Brewers, the Cubs, none of them really ran away with anything. None of them were super dominant. They're all kind of flat and kind of in the middle, right? Um, and the Reds were in that mix as well as um, yeah, the Brewers. So. Um I think my main takeaway is that I just think that if the Padres had a schedule where they played less Dodgers and less Giants and more Pirates, more of the other teams in the NL Central that are struggling, the Cubs are actively tanking, and you add the Reds, for the Reds you take away some of those games and you throw them against more Giants and more Padres or, and more sorry uh Dodgers and Giants. I think that Um, kind of balancing out the divisional schedule issue, I think it would... I think you'd see essentially the Padres, I guess, overall talent, overall, I guess, the expectation we have for them would kind of match their record a little bit more because um, there's a very good chance that the Dodgers and Giants both finish the season with over 100 wins. And so it's... If the Padres kind of missed the wild card by a single game, imagine they finished one game below the Reds. I'm going to be here saying the Padres got screwed because... Half their games are against this, these 200-win teams, whereas the Reds are playing the Cubs, who are actively tanking. They're playing the uh, the Cardinals, who have been coming on a bit, but have overall been an underperforming team with injuries and all that kind of stuff. And the Pirates, who are just a complete, I guess, you know, you know in basketball, you call it a lottery team. They're just a team. Yeah. Their team is kind of bottom five, and they're probably trying to get the worst record so they can get the best draft pick. But essentially, Travis, I guess my main point is... Um, I still want divisions to be there. I don't want divisions to be washed away. I just want you to not play more games against your own division than the other divisions in your league, because um, it makes the wild card race very muddy. When you kind of say, "Okay, you guys beat us by a game, but our schedule was way harder. Our division was way harder. How is that kind of fair? You were playing all these bad teams the whole season, um, or at least at least you know teams that are worse than teams I had to face. But you know, it, it's kind of picking at hairs. We're just kind of you know. In a perfect world, we would both do things differently than what they're doing right now. I think we can agree with that, and um, yeah, I think that kind of wraps up the whole the whole topic.
1: Yeah, and I think honestly, like like what we pointed out earlier, I think of course the playoff expansion expansion would definitely help that. We would definitely get to see the Padres in the Reds would be in. You'd get to see these teams in there, so I think it'd answer a lot of our questions, and it would both you know help us out. And, uh, yeah, it would answer all these questions with the divisions. You know, you could get third place in your division. It might be a tough division, but Hey, if you have 90 wins, 95 wins and you're third place, you know, with the playoff expansion, you're still getting in. Um, I think Alex, the only time that I, I, I think I brought this up one time, but the only, the, I don't know why it still rings a bell in my head, but the one time with the division, I think really screwed a team was, uh, 2018 when, Uh, The NL Central winner, the Cleveland Indians, I think they had about 85 or 86 wins. Just a very... Just a just not uh, not a good a man, team that yeah, year. Mediocre. And only had about yeah, like I said, eighty five to eighty six wins. While well, the AL West was kind of a stacked division. The, I think the Houston Astros finished with over a hundred wins that year. The Oakland A's finished with like ninety five to ninety seven wins that year, and they were a second place team. And then you had the Seattle Mariners, who had kind of a freak year with uh, Edwin Diaz going off a lot of a lot of good pieces on the Seattle Mariners in two thousand eighteen. They finished with around eighty nine, almost ninety wins and we're a third place team. And of course, they didn't make the wild card game because the Oakland A's had about 95 wins. And I think the New York Yankees had 100 wins with the Red Sox finishing like 105. That was the year where they had that freak show of a year. Um, And I felt really bad for the Mariners because of course, you're a team that has not made the playoffs for a very long time. You're hungry in Seattle. And the one year you get 90 wins you're the third place team and your division is also great and so you kind of get screwed there and you're saying oh my god the cleveland indians are going to the you know ALDS they're not, they don't even have to play
0: a wild card. wild
1: card game imagine the yankees and the a's they're telling they're saying we finished with 95 wins We're and both we had better have
0: to, than the indians we, team. we
1: have to play a one game series in new york our season's on the line and that year the a's lost that game and cleveland gets to at least have a shot yeah, against the Houston Astros, but they at least get to have a five-game series going into it. That, of course, seems a little bit, eh, You know th- that right. that's that's one exception where I really get your point. Where it just it kind of, of course, would really upset me because if I was an Angel fan or if that was the Angels, I'd be like, okay, this is some BS. Like we right. literally got screwed by the division rules. It's you know, right because yeah. and, so not only do the Indians have like this
0: eighty-six win win schedule, you can almost view it as what if those Indians and the Mariners just kind of switch spots? You're looking at the strength of schedule. The Mariners might get up in the 90s, yeah. middle of 90s wins, and Indians might be a 500 team. Yeah. So it really kind of puts in their perspective how the records could change if you kind of didn't focus on the divisional structure so much. But yeah, completely agree with, with that whole point about 2018. Uh, my whole idea is trying to avoid scenarios like that where you have teams that feel like they really should be in, but some other team, I guess, kind of takes the thunder. Um, and you know, I don't want to, I don't want to cause slander towards that Indians team or this year's Reds team because this year's Reds team, if they get in, it's because that they didn't punt on the season. They knew the Brewers were in the division, but they said, hey, we can still do something here, and they made a big late push. So if they make it in, then hats off to them. I still feel like it is a bit of a robbery. To exclude those Padres from the playoffs if we get there. At the same tra- time, Travis, Dodger fans will be laughing at them very hard, and they'll those laughs will be pretty deserved because they won the Scherzer sweepstakes and they overall are just having a better season. So.
1: And I and I definitely will say every NL team would tell you they don't want to play the San Diego Padres, right. which would just be very. It would just be. It would be a very weird look if they missed the playoffs barely and. I think they're still one of the most dangerous teams in the NL. I mean, honestly, you really could make a bet today who would win the NL. I guarantee probably the Padres have better odds than the Giants, than the Reds, than the Braves. Mm -hmm. Probably the Brewers and maybe the Dodgers have really good odds. I think the Padres would definitely be a top four in odds-wise if you look at Vegas for who would win the NL pennant. Um, Still a very dangerous team going through kind of a rough time right now. But, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens in the next, you know, 40, 40 games of the season.
0: Right on. So um, I'm gonna throw that other this other trivia question I have, Travis. Um, we already know the answer. Uh, I don't know if I do. I think I quizzed you on I quizzed you on it yesterday, but it was a total mind blower, and I just had to. I couldn't let it slip by. I had to let the let the listeners know. Uh, essentially, Travis, I asked you about um, Shane McClanahan, the starting pitcher for Tampa Bay Rays. He's having a really good month himself. He has four starts. I asked you about how many wins you think he has, and how many wins do you think the Baltimore Orioles have this month? And the answer was that Shane McClanahan has four wins, and the Baltimore Orioles have only one win in this month. Um, R.I.P. Sorry to Baltimore Orioles fans. That is just uh, that, 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 is is an new, that. That is a new. That is
1: a new level of like just failure I yeah, mean that I, is that is awful
0: I think they won on August 2nd uh sorry yeah August 2nd I don't think they've won a game since pretty big losing streak there and then McClanahan just kind of having a little freaky month four straight wins on his four starts um it I just it just I saw that tweet actually by uh by uh, Max Goldstein that's at uh at Max Sports Studio on Twitter um just a really crazy stat and Travis I actually found it on Twitter like three or four days ago and it's really funny that it's still true the Orioles have not won since the tweet was posted. So I wonder how long it'll last. I wonder how much longer. Charles, if you had to bet, how will the month finish with McClanahan having more wins than the Orioles? What's going to happen? Like, how, yeah, I
1: don't know. I mean, <laughs> they're they're facing a, a team this week that I I don't know why, but I feel like they're going to win maybe once or twice. against. I just am saying it's the Angels it's, are it's the are Angels way winch, for some on reason. Shaky ground right <laughs> now for sure. But you know what? We did get swept by the Indians. I think we kind of will, will shake. Shake off the rust a little bit. I don't think we're going to be losing the series of the Orioles. I think we'll definitely take two or three, um, or if not sweep. Um, I think if we win the first game, it's really big because then you got Shohei the second game. I think that's an automatic win. Um, Shohei will hopefully have a really good outing and kind of, of course, keep elevating his status for um, possibly even Cy Young votes. I really don't know, Alex, what what's going to happen. But you know, you you kind of get into the year, the, the, the part of the year now where injuries. Uh, could really affect a lot of these guys. I mean, we saw Lance Lynn kind of go through uh, no injury at all, but he he got ejected his last start, and I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit. But, sure. um, you know, I think a lot of us thought, oh, shoot, is he is he hurt? Is, he, is something wrong with him? You know, I was thinking about it. I'm like, I know Rodon is on the IL right now. What if Lance Lynn had some freak weird accident where he got put on the IL? Now you're really looking at, let's just say Rodon did not, you know, make you know, a strong finish to a season, even if he was on the IL, too, if he had a long uh, stint on the IL, you have Robbie Ray, you have Garrett Cole, and you have Shohei Otani. Yep. Um, That's the list. It could get interesting. Right now, of course, Cole is approaching with the success of the Yankees, um, and Robbie Ray has been doing very, very well, but, like, it, it could get interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it would be... You
0: can't cross off Shohei not him yet. being top three, and then... You know, having him as a winner is a long shot, but it is not out of the... You can't cross it off as a, as a, as a possibility. He will be getting... I, I I, feel strongly that someone will give him a first place vote just for probably saying how hard it is to...
1: On your body. Yeah, you're he, right.
0: Because he, he's pitching as well as he has. He's putting up these crazy numbers. He's been the best AL pitcher uh, since the All-Star break, um, numbers-wise. And you combine that with the fact that every time he is pitching... He's not even having the the chance to kind of rest and recover because he is up there at the plate. He's out there on the base pass. Travis, there's been multiple times where he's a starting pitcher and he'll be stranded on second or third base for like the whole inning. And, and then uh, the Angels announcers are saying, guys, like... Get Otani in so he can sit down on the bench for like at least 30 seconds before he has to go out there and pitch again. Like, we don't want him staying on the base pass that, the whole time, which is just a thing that other pitchers don't have to deal with in the AL.
1: And you made a really good point there. I was not thinking about that. And that was this guy is stealing bags. This guy is, yeah. you know, tr- turning doubles into triples. And then, you know what? He's going to go back to the dugout, grab his glove, and go out to the mountain pitch. I mean, you can't get more Little League than that. Right. And no breaks. You're right. I, I honestly see a couple riders really doing that because they're going to say you know what no one has worked this hard and had the results come to be this good i mean right now he's on pace he could get down to honestly possibly like a 2-4 era if he finishes out the year super super strong it'll of course depend on the matchups that he goes against but you know could win another five games could be you know close to you know 14 game winner and era lower than a 2-5 i mean that would just be mind-boggling i i can't even imagine that
0: yeah that'd be that'd be you know the icing on the cake if he got, you know, top three AL Cy Young votes um, along with along with his MVP win that he's, he's uh, destined to get at this point. Travis, I wanted to kind of transition. While we're talking about these great pitchers in the AL, quick switch over to the NL real quick. Um, the race for the NL uh, Cy Young, it has been a big kind of, a big heat, like a big wave of, of guys that are all kind of in contention. DeGrom was at the front for a long time, but his injuries has really kind of set him back to the rest of the pack. Other names include Walker Buehler, Freddie Peralta, guys like uh, Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Um, the list goes on. Essentially, I feel like some names have fallen off the mountain, and I wanted to kind of see what you thought about this. Um, So I think that the guys who either have had injury issues or one or two bad starts that might have shaken up their odds uh, negatively, I think is Peralta and DeGrom with their IL stints, and then Woodruff and Gaussman both had a bad start in the last week. In my mind that they have they're not out of the race. Um, at least not for Woodruff and Gausman I think DeGrom is out of the race now, based on he's just been out for too long. But uh some of these guys have kind of fallen back from the leaders. I think now the leaders is a three-man group in my mind. I think it's Burns, I think it's Zach Wheeler, I think it's Walker Bueller. I think that they're right now the top three if the season if the season ended today. I don't know who I'd vote for. But I think that is the big three right now in the National League between Bueller, Wheeler, and Burns. They all have different arguments. Um, Bueller and Burns are one and two, just like .02 separating them in ERA. I think it's like a two point one one and a two point one three, something like that. Um, and then Wheeler is a bit north of them in terms of ERA. But Bueller does lead. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, Wheeler does lead them in. He leads the whole MLB in strikeouts. He leads the whole MLB in innings pitched. He leads the whole MLB in like batters face. He's just been the absolute workhorse for the Phillies. He's really doing it all. Um, leading in strikeouts is always a big deal. I think for some writers and some voters. So Travis, give me your thoughts on this kind of three team. I see a three-man race kind of forming with with of course Gausman and and uh, Woodruff kind of still looking at the at the top and knowing they have a shot. But what do you think about my kind of analysis there?
1: Yeah, no, I think it's 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 good. I, I think Gaus Gausman. You know, I don't really see him. Winning the award. I don't I don't know why. I just don't see him uh being that kind of popular of a vote for the Cy Young. He'll get, I think, top five easily in in Cy Young votes. Has had an insane year, really bet on himself to have a great year. And I think next this offseason he'll have a good uh contract awaiting from him from some uh some team. But I think right now those three guys that you mentioned are, of course, the top three. Um Woodruff too, not totally done on him yet. I think he's the leader of that Brewers pitching staff. Um, him and Burns are you know both putting up great tremendous years um, but with those three I honestly Alex will have to go with Walker Bueller um, it kind of not not pains me but of course you know I got to put respect where it's due uh, and Walker Bueller this season has just been outstanding leads all of baseball and ERA with a 2.11 ERA 13 and 2 on the season is getting better as the season progresses and right. as, and as I see you know past Cy Young winners. That's what it really de- you know depends on when it comes to a lot of the awards. Who is going to have a strong finish and a strong second half to their season? He's up there with all the pretty much all the pitchers in in the NL right now when it comes to war, innings pitched, strikeouts, whip, wins, everything on that list. There's really no weakness with Walker Buehler right now. He is um definitely I think my favorite and it'd be really interesting of course if he wins the award, you'd have him and Shohei both uh only making four million dollars this year and that's they both well. are that, 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 that's what i call money ball yeah <laughs> uh but yeah both guys uh in the wow. elite status Well, i
0: wonder what Rodon's contract i mean there are other guys in yeah. the race for on both You're sides right. that are not making the big bucks that's, that's very it's, it's a very true good point
1: very true but yeah it'd be really interesting to see both those guys you know four million dollars this year um both very young have really right futures in the mlb but uh, Walker Bueller for me, just the way of course the Dodgers are trending where he's trending. It just makes sense. I think right now he is definitely solidified as the first place guy um, for the NL Cy Young right now.
0: Sure. Yeah. That's a, that's a very, it's a very good take. Um, I'm not. Astute observation. Yeah. Not, not too bad. Not too bad. <laughs> but I, I, I'm not a hundred percent completely on board. I don't think he's below the other two guys I mentioned. I just don't have my mind made up completely yet. Um, I'm still in the middle Uh the way I see it right now I'm looking at the pitchers, the NL pitchers leaderboards and stuff. Uh Bueller does lead in ERA. Wheeler actually has the edge in war for pitchers, uh, over both Bueller and uh Burns and the rest of the pack. Um Bueller has the wins like you mentioned uh, over the other two guys. Um I got Max Scherzer actually leads in, in Whip and he's someone who we didn't mention so far. He is not completely completely out of it. If he did something crazy here in September, he could climb in that race because his ERA is low enough, and he, he's at a his WAR he's ninth in WAR it looks like for pitchers in the National League, and uh, he is not oh he's fifth overall in um in, uh, in ERA at, at two six five so Scherzer is certainly not out of this race um but I just really like I really, I really like Wheeler Burns uh, Bueller as a trio that I really can't make up my mind yet uh, limiting walks per nine Burns leads that innings pitched Wheeler leads that. Strikeouts per nine, Burns leads that. Strikeouts, Wheeler leads that. Um, and the ERA, limiting runs, very important. Of course, Bueller leads that. So, um, it, it it's gonna be a tight race. I'm really excited to see how it shapes up. And is gonna be a big month for those guys. And it really comes down to, I think, if any of them have a big, kind of misstep, a big kind of failure of a start. Yeah. There's one bad outing, and they kind of fall off the mountain from that top tier, that top three. They'll fall down to next to like Woodruff, where like one inch below yeah and we'll kind of see how that shapes up and also if one of those guys that's one inch below like a, like a gosman or a or a woodruff if they just go out there and throw like eight scoreless innings they're back on top with the top group Very So true we'll Very see true. how it shapes up it'll be super fun to kind of track that race um going into september going into the final stretch of the season uh travis i think the last thing we can touch on this episode before we wrap things up is i mentioned in our intro the yankees have an interesting kind of thing going on uh with Luke Voigt and Anthony Rizzo, they went and got Rizzo because Luke Voigt was injured on the aisle for a big chunk of the season. They needed that first base hole to be filled. They went and got Rizzo. But now they're both kind of ready to play. And they have some decisions to make. They're getting hot. They've been a good team this last month. I think they have the best record in the American League since like the All-Star break, if I'm not mistaken. I yeah, think, I think yeah, they, yeah. Th- They've been very good. Mm-hmm. But um, Travis, I think we both have a similar idea of what they should be doing going forward. Um, and I'll just kind of let the viewers, uh, let the listeners know, uh, where we're at. Essentially, there was an issue where Luke Voigt had a big series against the Boston Red Sox when they, uh, swept them in the Bronx just a couple weeks ago. And then, uh, now all of a sudden Rizzo is back off the IL and Rizzo gets the starting, the starting nod essentially, which makes sense. Rizzo being the veteran, being a lefty in a lot full of righties, it makes sense. They went with Rizzo, uh, as if you had to pick one. But Voight has been the better hitter um, since the trade deadline, if you just look at their numbers. Um, So I understand why Voight would be upset. And so Voight essentially voiced his concern, saying, you know, Rizzo's a great player, but I was top 10 in MVP voting last season, in the 2020 season. And he says, I was a big piece of that Red Sox uh, series sweep. I think I should be getting playing time. Uh, I think I'm that guy kind of deal. And... Charles, essentially our solution uh, is what John Carlos Stanton echoed when Don Carlos Stanton said he thinks the team is best when he is playing outfield, Stanton, and that would allow the DH spot to be open for a Voigt or a Rizzo, most likely Voigt. Um, And the odd man out there is probably Brett Gardner because then you'd have uh, Stanton moving to left. You have Gallo or uh, Judge playing center and then right field as well. So Gardner would move to the bench. And Travis, to me, it seems like really the obvious choice. Gardner has not really been an above average player in, a, in quite some time now. And Voight and Rizzo are both obviously all-star caliber players. So sacrificing, sacrificing Gardner as well as a little bit of defense in the outfield with, with Stanton being out there. I think it's completely worth it to get that extra power bat in the lineup because their strength right now is having all their hands on deck because they have such a talented deep roster. Having a like vote on the bench is almost like a waste, and I do think they can be a, the Yankees can be a very serious threat in the American League. They could upset the Astros. They could they could honestly take the whole the Definitely. whole league. So give me your take on how they should approach this, and I guess what will be best for them going forward.
1: Yeah, I think very easy, like you put it, Brett Gardner on the bench, uh, Aaron Judge or. Uh, you look at a Joey Gallo playing center field. Um, and that's pretty much the way they got to move forward. And right now, you're looking at Brett Gardner batting 215 this season, uh, you know, 37 years old. I think they signed him to a one year deal. Um, just one of those guys that they, I feel like they had to bring back because he's been part of that Yankee culture for a decade. So mm-hmm. I feel like it was almost a forced, like, we have to bring this guy back, which is kind of was, a, I feel like it was kind of a weird. Scenario because you got guys like Clint Frazier, Aaron Hicks, a couple other guys that can play outfield, Um, but I think they knew with just the Yankees' way of being injured all the time, they had to get as much outfield depth as possible. And now,
0: and he's just like he's back been their one switch hitter outside of Hicks, but but yeah, great point. Continue. He's he's not been he's not been. Even like a league average hitter, really, like we mentioned, that average is not been good.
1: Exactly, and you know he basically was just known back in the day. I feel like for his, you know, speed and contact, that really was all Brett Gardner really had to his game. Um, I think now his time, of course, will be better on the bench for the team because you do need Rizzo and you do need Void. I believe in that lineup that just creates so much more problems for um, American League pitchers, and then of course judge with just how good he is defensively putting him in center I don't think it'll be a huge problem Um, and then of course with Gallo and the way he plays defense in right field that'll be a great defensive right and center field kind of compared to like the Dodgers with Bellinger and Mookie Betts um, playing that kind of position in the outfield Um, but yeah I think it's easy pick uh, Brett Gardner bench and then of course either Voight at first or Rizzo and then of course the other one DHing. Stan Stanton can still play really good left field he's still you know pretty young 31 years old
0: yeah, he's, he's not too old to be out there, but it's just kind of a... Uh, he hasn't probably done it in a little while now. Yeah. And I, know, I, I know he just started doing it with the Gallo trade happening and, and the Rizzo trade happening. Yeah, and, but, I,
1: and I know from late June, we watched the Angels play the Yankees. It'll be a definite upgrade from watching Miguel Andujar play left field. That was an ab- absolute right. uh, train wreck. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, honestly, some high school outfielders could have done a lot better with the way he fielded some of those balls um, out there, but... Yeah, I mean it, the Yankees. It's kind of interesting how it's shaping up with their lineup. I mean, right now I think you still have Lemayo and O'Dora still playing, but you you know Gleyber Torres, Giuricella, Miguel Andujar, all in the aisle. Even Clint Frazier and Aaron Hicks. These guys I feel like were going to be role players in the in the team success this season. Right. Not really seeing them anymore. Um, and it's kind of like this new wave of Yankees and a lot of new faces with Rizzo um, and also with um, you know Joey Gallo still so, doing damage.
0: Right. Uh, gr- I think I guess the main point there is the Yankees have been really thriving as of late. And I think a big reason why is because they went all in on the deadline. They said, you know what? There's no point for us to punt on the season because we owe Cole a lot of money. We owe Stanton a lot of money. What are we doing here if we're going to try to like tank? No, that's not us. Let's get some big pieces to fill up these injury spots and let's continue to go for it. And now some guys like Voight are coming back off the I.L. And all of a sudden you're looking at, hey, Maybe we can put together a run at the AL here. And I think that they are poised to do so. Um, I don't see them passing the Rays. I, I do see them staying above the Red Sox. We'll see how things shape up. But um, they, I, they're they at Chavez. I think you mentioned it a couple episodes ago. They're not a team you want to face in a wild card game. One game, yeah. You, no. <laughs> you got Garrett Cole on the mound. And you got that lineup of just power hitters full of righties. And then you add, obviously, Rizzo and Gallo, two lefty bats, with both with power and good on-base skills, good walking skills. These are, not, these are not uh guys you really want to face in a wild card game. Anything can happen in that one game with all that power in the lineup and an ace on the mound, a total ace in Garrett Cole. So um, the team that went for it uh, is the team that's really thriving right now. Uh, Red Sox are slipping a bit. They did go get Schwarber, but um, they did not go for it quite as much. They, they lost on the Rizzo sweepstakes. Um, so yeah, to me, in my mind, the teams that are really thriving, thriving right now are the teams that went for at the deadline and they're being rewarded handsomely like the Braves went and got some outfielders um to provide that depth they needed the Dodgers of course are getting hot at the perfect time adding Scherzer and Trey Turner both all-stars in their own right Padres slipping they did not get uh they they, they did get a Frazier but not really as big of a piece as they were hoping hoping to get Scherzer um you know at the deadline there so the teams that are slipping in my mind uh they may end up regretting not uh, getting the deal done at the deadline but We'll see. We'll see how things shape up. Josh, um, is there anything else you want to cover, I guess, this episode? or
1: No, I mean, I think that right now, like you said, it's it's about late, mid-August. Um, you're really starting to see the teams fall that are, you know, really can't hang when the, it comes to... The, the a, pretenders, yeah. The, yeah, the 162-game season. Um, and you're really seeing the teams that are, you know, either getting better and, you know, rising, or, of course, the teams like the San Francisco Giants, who I was still very surprised guy that they are still holding holding steady holding steady right now and still have a two and a half game lead over the dodgers um it just seems like every week we're always waiting for that slip but they just always still stay consistent and they have a lot of big impact players um on that team so interesting to see the giants and the rays still being uh you know kind of the powerhouses of the al Um, but of course once september hits It'll be more interdivision matches matchups. And, you know, I think I saw a graph a couple days ago, but um, I think it was looking at the padres schedule uh, you know, in the last couple weeks I, of the season. I think it's the hardest remaining strength and in the I just see a lot of Dodgers and a lot of Giants. So, yeah. you know, the Padres will be put to the test, and that's where Darvish and Snell and all those big names that they acquired will have to rise up because the the Reds right now are kind of in a really nice spot where um yeah i mean they are looking hopefully at the cubs and the pirates in the in the last part of the uh, of the seasons but um it'll be interesting i mean it's, it's it's really shaping up to a really interesting season right now
0: yeah good, good points there i think you're right that the padres are going to be put to the test and it's going to be this kind of thing where either either they're gonna uh fall to some of those giants series some of those dodgers series and we're going to really see um, I guess what we were talking about with the whole with the whole uh, restructuring thing, we're gonna see like a scenario where this team is gonna miss the playoffs because of their schedule. But um, the other side of the coin, Travis, if they do pull it off, they if they surpass the Reds again, if they uh, if they do beat up the Dodgers and the Giants in some of those series, we're gonna see a team that got momentum at the right time and a team that uh, essentially. Is almost playoff ready because they've been playing the Dodgers and Giants, the teams that they will be playing in the postseason if they get there.
1: So I, I um, just I just want to see Dodgers Padres one game wild card. I mean I, that would just be the biggest the, treat. The, the baseball world would the the fans of those two teams will be so stressed,
0: but the baseball world I, will be enjoying that. I game.
1: will start looking for tickets now. Oh yeah, because well, <laughs> well, that would be a rowdy one game series that I think no one will want to miss. Right, hundred <laughs>
0: percent. And and Travis. Uh, the Padres, much like the Yankees we just mentioned, are a team you probably don't 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 want to face in a one game elimination. Dodgers, Dodgers aren't either. Dodgers, I don't even know what direction you take it because you have Walker Buehler, Cy Young candidate. You have Max Scherzer, the guy who has been to the playoffs many times, the guy who has been good in the playoffs, and the guy who you just traded for. So you obviously really care about his presence. And you have Kershaw, who's been your guy for a decade, multiple times Cy Young winner. So um, they have a wealth of options, as do the Padres. So essentially uh we're in for a treat i think here coming into september uh almost there almost in september and then almost uh you know just one month to go in the season so definitely yeah. when the month ends travis we'll have another wrap up for all the listeners and uh i guess we'll continue to cover more news for you guys next week um we'll have another great episode coming for you guys so thank you all for listening if you made it this far and uh, have a good rest of your day
1: presented by tool tools podcast <laughs> <laughs>